The story of the Sunday school teacher who really was wanting to encourage her students. And so as the students came in and she asked them to begin coloring, and she was going around just remarking about each creation of from each child. And she came around to little Susie and she said, oh, Susie, this is wonderful. But as she was looking, as she was looking, she couldn't quite. She said, well, Susie, it, this looks like a, you're really on a mission. She was very intense. She had her tongue hanging out of her mouth. She was you know, just really going. She was on fire. And uh, her teacher said, well, uh, what is this that you're coloring? And uh, with all the enthusiasm in the world, she beamed and smiled real big. She said, I am drawing God. And her teacher said, oh, yeah, that's, well, honey, that's wonderful, but no one has ever seen God. No one knows what God looks like. And she didn't stop her one bit. She said, they will when I'm through. <laughs> the power of encouragement is real. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said that uh, I can go for two months on a good compliment. It just keeps us charged as we on Sunday mornings are uh, talking about the rhythm of our lives. We're looking at these elements that as Christians, as Christ followers, as followers of the way, these common things that seem to come out of the overflow of our lives, the rhythm of who we are. We said that the rhythm is the strong, repeated movement in our lives. We kind of use the heartbeat as an example of that, that the heartbeat that starts here flows throughout every single cell and vessel of your body. And with us, following Christ is not just something you do for an hour in a place with a certain group of people. It's a rhythm to the very way that you live. We've talked about the rhythm of trusting God, of lowering yourself. And today we talk about the importance of the rhythm of encouragement. The word encouragement simply, basically defined means to give courage. Uh, it was already mentioned once this morning, but, but you probably know that, that tomorrow is Veterans Day. And, and we... Thank our veterans. By the way, if you are a veteran, if you serve, would you please stand? I know you don't do it for this recognition, but would you please stand? Thank you. You know why I didn't have to cue them to applaud you? Because we recognize that you are men and women of courage. We have an all-volunteer army. You, you volunteered, you, you gave, you served. And sometimes if you see somebody in uniform, maybe in a, a, a restaurant or something, you might say, hey, thank you for your service. We thank you because your service is rooted in courage. The willingness to lay down your life on behalf of your country is courageous. That's a courageous act. And courage is what inspires us. Now, as we think about their example, we understand that there is something about when you encourage someone, you are lifting them up. You are 
bring, you are putting wind in their sails. You're acknowledging them. I know another men and women who stood up did it for that reason. But when they stood, something, something within them was encouraged. You see, their courage gave us courage. And our acknowledgement of that continues to give them courage. It's a repeating cycle. So encouragement is all good. The problem is this. The world can be a very discouraging place. You will not pick up the news on your app, your phone, your iPad, or if you read one of those old-fashioned things called a newspaper, you will not read any of the pages that are titled with the headline, Everything's Great. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. That's the, 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 the modus that we work in. All news tends to be bad news. There is always something to rant about on social media. I mean, we've given everyone a platform. And, and our natural default is to criticize, to point out the negative, to complain, to bemoan. It gets really bad. Some people think that's their only purpose in life, is to be the rain on everyone else's parade. There is always something to criticize. There is always something that you can point out in another person that's a flaw, that you can point out in a program or a ministry that someone else did. It's easy to default to being critical. There is always a cell phone ringing. There is always something to worry over. There is always something to get down about, if you let it. You see, we can easily take a bad news world and let it impact and become a bad news people. There are folks, back to the social media example, that I don't follow anymore because every time I heard something from them, it was always negative. And that... They were planting negative thoughts in my mind, and that discouraged me. And it's not that I want to be Pollyannish. I realize there's real problems out there. But you understand there are people that that's their native language, is complaint and criticism and always ranting about something. Our personalities speak into this a little bit. I mean, the world is a bad place. It, since sin entered it, there, there's been trouble. There's always going to be trouble. But some people have a personality that defaults. Let me ask you this morning as you think about yourself, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Do you see the glass as perpetually full or always lacking? It impacts how you see the world, the glasses that you view the world you're in. Would you say you're mostly an Eeyore or a Tigger? There are some Eeyores in the world that no matter what happens, they could win $10 million. Hey man, I heard you won $10 million. Yeah, I can just imagine the taxes. They are always looking for a cloud. They do not have the ability to look at any situation in a positive light. Think about the battery image on your cell phone. 
I don't know if you're paying attention to it right now, but I'll give you permission. Where is your battery? Mine's at about 92%, my iPhone tells me. Do you ever consider that maybe the, your battery is a result of your personality? Do you, are you continually charging others or are you continually draining others? Now, these are, these are elements of our personality. And as we think about the world that we live in, the personalities that we have, you know, God tells us the way we should be. And this morning, we're really just going to focus on one text. This is uh, where we're just going to pour into this morning. We're going to look at other scriptures, but we're going to be based in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, if you're in the Pew Bible, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, the, uh, the page number for that is going to be page 1,286. 1,287. If you have your own Bible, just turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, I said the Pew Bible because the Pew Bible uh, is one we want you to use. If you don't have one, we... One of the most encouraging things I hear is the turning of pages and devices out that are open to a Bible app. But I'm gonna, the scripture I'm going to read is not the ESV, which is the Pew Bible, but the NIV. And the NIV translation, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, reads like this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We're just going to work through this a little bit at a time. You see, the first part that the writer of Hebrews tells us is to let us consider. Uh, that word consider means to give our a complete attention and our diligent focus toward. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says in the same way, consider Jesus. So he's asking us to focus deeply, consider this thought. And that, that is really the basis of encouragement. To be an encouraging person, you have to be a considerate person. You have to, be, you have to consider others more highly than yourself. Now, I will tell you by default, I am not a considerate person. I consider myself before I consider anyone else. When I wake up and I open my eyes, the first thought I usually have is I'm thirsty. So I get a drink of water. And then I get a drink of water, and then I think, ugh, my teeth, ugh, I need to brush my teeth. And then, you know, I just go through the rhythm of my morning. Every part of it has to do with me. I, I need to shower. I need to shave. I need to feed myself. I need to clothe myself. See, the first few things of the day, I was only considering myself. And, and that's natural. All of us do that. That's sort of the default mode. But... If you want to get into the rhythm of encouragement as early and as quickly as possible, you must begin to break the focus on yourself. It, you must remove the focus off of you and begin to think about others. 
Now, of course, the preacher is going to tell you your first thought should be toward your creator. To the one who made you, to one who woke you up, to the one who gave you breath, to the one who poured life into you, the one who's blessed you in ways that you don't even fully understand, the one who in Christ, who has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, see, when, when you begin to focus, if your first thought begins to, uh, and I, someone told me this years ago, they, they, they try when they first wake up, to, as soon as they open their eyes to say, thank you, God. You see? You see what happened? Their mindset moved from focusing on themselves to focusing on their creator. Now, God, who's a giver, who loves his children, then is going to pour into us the consideration of other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, uh, adds some instruction to this. When the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. But each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, when we begin to focus on God, the creator, and immediately it changed our mindset, and then we begin to consider other people more than we even worry about our own needs and thoughts and wants. That's how God wants us to be. Now, since we're all here, let me give you some examples of how that manifests itself when you have a group of people, a church, a called out people who are thinking in consideration of others. Usually when I arrive, uh, the other uh, shepherds are, the, the shepherds are here because they meet early in the morning. And typically I know they're here by this fact. They usually park at the farthest point on the parking lot. Why do they do that? They're the elders. They're the shepherds. Don't they have, shouldn't we have a up front, shouldn't we have signs that say, you know, James Wilson parking here? I mean, shouldn't we? They're our leaders. Should we give them honor? Well, yes, we should. But you see, the leaders are Christ-like followers because they take what we talked about last week, the lowest place. I know their hearts, they know that parking lot's full. And it's not full right when they get there, but it's going to be full in a matter of a couple of hours. And so, in consideration of all of you, they'll park on the grass. They'll park at the farthest points away. That's consideration. And that leads us to an encouraging heart. Going to class. Now, when you are at Northside, we hope that you will be a part of a class. Within that class, you'll find community, connection, and certainly instruction in, in learning in God's Word. Good for you to hear another voice besides mine. And that, Christy told me to say that in the sermon this morning. Um, but when you're a part of a class, you have the opportunity to consider others above yourself. You see, you're sitting next to someone and there's a conversation about your week. Or you, you see your teacher who's prepared something from God's word and you have the opportunity to say to them, hey, that, you did a great job with that text today. I never thought about it that way. Well, that teacher will go the whole next week or two just based on your encouragement. You see, class gives us an opportunity to encourage other people. 
coming into worship. Now, I know I'm not picking on anybody, but I know we have sort of a saving seat mentality. Oh, I stepped on some toes, didn't I? Yeah. Now, listen. I've done it myself, okay? I've done it, and when I do it, what I'm, who am I thinking of right at that moment? Thinking of me. But if I take a mindset that says, there's other people coming, there's guests who are going to be there, then and instead of getting my spot that I like right here where I can see and everything's good and I'm just right here on the aisle so nobody I can cross my legs, everything's good. What I do when I'm considering others better than myself is I go to that old middle seat. And I don't like it because people on beside of me and, and it's, it's uncomfortable and I don't like it. You know what? It doesn't matter because I'm not thinking about me. I'm considering others who may not know Jesus, who did not, they got up really late, and you go, well, that's their problem. They should have got here early, got a good seat. Well, hey, listen, that's not who we in Christ are to be. We're to be considerate. Passing the books. Y'all passed the books. We had the books on the end of the pew. And you have this opportunity here. This is an opportunity. I don't even know if you noticed it. It's an opportunity. You will think, well, I need to put my name on there so that everybody whoever's keeping track knows we were here. We got a place. We, we were here. But you see, when you open this book, as you pass it down and then they pass it back, open it again and, and be mindful of the people who are guests. Great opportunity. But it only happens when you consider your others better than yourself. You see, we have all sorts of opportunities to either focus on us and what we want and our comfort and our needs and ourselves. God wants us to consider how we may focus on others. There's a a thousand examples of that. Now, the next part. When we consider, it's not just considering anything, it's considering how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. When I talk about encouragement, there will be Eeyores in the audience that leave thinking, nobody encouraged me today. Nobody even talked to me today. (laughs) You're missing the point. I'm not talking about, I'm not, the preacher's job is not to work on what everybody does to you. My, my job is to take this word and tell you how God wants you to change. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So it's not about who encouraged you. It's about who did you encourage. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11, the scripture is... Simple, direct, to the point. Therefore, encourage one another up and build one another up just as you're doing. Our purpose here is not just to fill a place. Our purpose is greater than that. Of course, to glorify Him. And as we glorify Him, we pour into one another. So my question for you is, When you leave today, the question should be asked of yourself, who did I encourage today? 
Last week we said there was a four-word question that you should ask in the spirit of taking the lower position. Remember the four-word question? Anybody remember it? What was it? How can I help? All right. Well, how did you how will you help someone? And it's not just today, it's not just right now. It's a whole rhythm throughout the week. Ask yourself at the end of each day, how did I help? How did I encourage someone today? You think, well, I'm not really good with words. I don't really know what to say. I'm sort of awkward around people. I'm an introvert. I don't go out. Listen, again, your focus is on you. Ask yourself how you can encourage someone else. You see, sometimes it's not about saying anything. Sometimes it's just about being present. Sometimes it's just a matter of holding on. Check out this image. I don't know what brought this man to this point But I bet the people holding on to him are Christians, are Christ followers, because that's who we are to be. It's not about always having the right words. Sometimes it's just being available. Sometimes you'll have a thought, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Did you ever consider that perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this person needs courage, go help them. We have opportunities just to be present, just to hold on, and just to encourage people to not let go. The church is the body of Christ. We're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So hold on to each other. Sometimes that may be a perfect stranger. That may be a family member. That may be a good friend. But sometimes being in Christ And giving courage to others is simply a matter of holding on and not letting go. The scripture continues, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but uh, as some are in the habit of doing. Meeting together. Now, I realize this verse has been used in spiritually abusive ways. That's not what the writer of Hebrews intended to do. What he wanted to do is that when we meet together, we view that not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. You see, when you, when you do it out of obligation, well, I gotta be here, or they're gonna think, alright, you know, I gotta check off the list, I gotta fill the pew, I'm just gonna sit and I'm gonna do my time. That's the wrong way to view worship and meeting together as the church. The writer says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Meeting together is important, and, and nothing against those watching, those of you watching online, many of the folks watching online, wish they could be present. They long for the presence that you and I sometimes take for granted. Meeting together, there is something within us that we are wired to be kneecap to kneecap, 
eyeball to eyeball. I can't explain it to you except to say that when God wired us and created us, when he saw that Adam was alone, he said it is not good for man to be alone. Left to yourself, you often go on a downward spiral. Meeting together is a way to come out of that spiral if we use it as an opportunity to encourage others. It is the gift of presence. Matt Babish, where are you? There he is. Okay. My brother Matt. Follow me. Good luck. My brother Matt, he's over here. Now, Matt had some back surgery a few weeks ago. Still in pain, aren't you? Still struggling, aren't you? When I see Matt and I know what he's going through, for me to see Matt here encourages me. Now, it's not about me, but if I know he can be here, then I go, I can keep going too. You see, he encourages me by his presence. Matt didn't do anything. He's just here. He's meeting together when he had the opportunity to say, I hurt. I want to give up. It's easier to stay home. You see, we have opportunities all the time. Justin, stand up for me. You may or may not know Justin. Justin, you've been a Christian about a year and a half, right? Okay, now Justin has had some serious struggles with addiction, right? Justin, how long have you been clean? Almost a year, you didn't hear it. When I see Justin, I'm encouraged. We're meeting together because I know what he's going through. I know that some days are hard and some days are a battle But what I told him this morning is keep going because you encourage me. But here's this. I know there are people in these pews, some of which you struggle with addiction and you struggle in silence. And now that you know Justin's story, you're going to be encouraged that I can be healed from addiction, that I can come out of it by the power of Jesus Christ. That's encouragement. You see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? When Matt is here, when Justin is here, when my friend Ron Mock is here. We all pray for Ron. We know what Ron's been going through. Ron and Ginger have been sharing together. But when I see Ron, he encourages me without saying a word. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. When people don't give up, we go, man, what is within them? What happened? What changed them? Do you understand why meeting together is so important? And why I'm hammering on this point is because in our world, it's become increasingly less and less popular to think that we need to go to church every week. You know, once every two, once every three, once every month. It's not a checklist mentality. Please don't misunderstand. What I'm saying is you're missing many, many opportunities 
to encourage one another. We couldn't, (laughs) this would be really amazing if it happened. We couldn't fit everybody that's on the north side rolls in this room. If we had every single member at Northside who showed up on a Sunday, the shepherds would have a real problem. A real good problem, but a problem. That tells us that we as a body always need to be looking for an opportunity to grow and encourage. Again, please don't take this as I'm browbeating you for not being here every week. But we need to understand when worship happens, there's a reason God designed us to be together. Because we're reminded that we're not alone. On your Christian journey, most people give up because they feel alone. And God designed the church to remind us that we are not alone From Matthew 28, where Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let me give you a challenge. And this will be a hard one, but I I think Northside can rise to the occasion. Let me give you an eight-week challenge. If I did my math right, there's eight Sundays between now and the end of the year. Good news, you got the first one today. I want to challenge you to be here every Sunday for the next eight Sundays, including today, so seven more after this, to be here, and not just to fill a pew because all the preachers ever had to, to use it as an opportunity to encourage and give life and hope to each other and to remind one another that we are not alone. If nothing else, when you're here, when you see somebody that you haven't talked to in a while, just go up to them and say, it's really good to see you. You being here encourages me. Now think, if one person can go a couple of weeks on a good compliment, how much more would this entire body be lifted if we use the opportunity to be together to truly encourage one another? Quickly now encouraging one another. This is what the writer goes on to say, to give courage. There are so many examples. What I challenge Northside to do is nothing new for the church. The church has always been a body of people who are encouragers, who are lifters. If you're fast enough with your fingers, roll through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 Verse 31, Luke writes, Then the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Acts chapter 11, a couple of pages over. Verse 23, When Barnabas, the son of encouragement, when he arrived, he was a brother known for his encouragement, when he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Acts chapter 16, verse 40, a few pages over. After Paul and Silas, now listen, you're you're saying, well, this is a bunch of rah-rah. You have no idea, preacher, what I've been through this week. But listen, I may not, Paul and Silas, their story beats your story. 
because a bunch of people beat them. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house. Why? Because that's where the church met, where they met the brothers and sisters, and get this, and encouraged them. Where had they just come from? Prison. And yet their first thought in their mind was meeting with the church. For what purpose? So I can tell these stories about all the bad things that happened to me and so they can say, woe, woe to you. Oh, that's poor baby, poor Paul, poor Silas. No, they went there to encourage them to do two things, or to do one thing, two words, keep going. So when the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this. He says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. Do you get that? That you have an opportunity today. It's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews wrote today. In other words, sometimes when we think about encouragement, we think of the way that someone encouraged us yesterday. Or we think that someone else, or that we should encourage someone else, but I'll do it tomorrow. The writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another as long as it is called today. In other words, this is something that we need to be doing today, right now, so that, what's the reason? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. Courage is the vitamin C that prevents you from getting sin sick. So encouragement is giving vitamin C to someone else. Spiritual vitamin C. So ask today on the the car ride home, the question is, who did you encourage today? Continuing on. May we do it all the more As we see the day approaching. You see the church is the hope of the world. Why? Because of us? Because of who we are? Absolutely not. God forbid that it has anything to do with us. But the church is the group of called out people. Who point back to Jesus in everything. We don't have. I don't offer hope for anybody. But he offers hope for everybody. And so if I as a follower of him. Point to him. I give Hope to the world, and you and I ought to be about that mission. The closer we get to Jesus' return, the more hopeful we become. Why? Because when he returns, we win. Uh, you guys you guys don't sound that excited. You're like you're waiting for the sermon to end, aren't you? I'll say it again, because when he returns, we win. We were watching this movie last night about ice hockey called Miracle. The story about a college team that went on to, uh, well, give away the movie, but it's a really good movie. But because it's based on an actual historical event of the 1979 uh, U.S. ice hockey team and what they overcame to overcome, it's based on a real event. 
we know. In other words, I know how the movie's going to end. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. It's a real event. I already know the story. The movie is titled Miracle. You sort of have an expectation, okay? Listen to me. When we read the end of the book, you know what we learn? We win. May we not forget that, that we're on the winning team so long as we choose to stay on the winning team. So stay on the winning team. How do we do that? By encouraging one another. By reaching out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We will end with this scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Say, when Herm passed away, we, we weep because we'll miss him, but we, we, don't, we don't weep because he's gone or because we don't have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so either through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, who until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up to meet with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We've had a few losses. Herm, Sister Sue, Stan Skiles. Those are hard losses, but we don't weep as those who have no hope. We encourage one another with two simple words. We win. Those who have gone on before, they've, they've already won. They're waiting on us. May we... And we not just be here, may we encourage one another. Carson, come here, buddy. Last week, I picked on Carson as, as letting Grant lift him. You know, Grant had to lower himself. Grant lowered himself to lift Carson. If you didn't catch it, you can catch it on the Vimeo channel. So what I was thinking about that was kind of tying that message in with this message. See, Carson was lifted last week. He was, I can't do what Grant did because... my muscles are bigger than Grant's, and it would probably throw you up way up there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to show off or brag or anything. That's not who I am. But he lifted you. So this morning, what I want you to do is show us how we can lift one another. So I want you to find two teenagers in the youth group. I want you to tag them or touch them and just tell them, we win. Okay, go ahead. Find two and and tag them. All right, now Drew, stand up. All right, tag one more, Carson. Anywhere, it doesn't matter. All right, Clay, stand up. All right, now, what I want you guys to do, and to try to do this quickly, I want you to tag, each of you tag two people and tell them we win, okay? And when, they, when you get tagged, stand up. 
Now, you guys probably, if you're quick learners, know what to do now, don't you? I want you to tag two people and tell them we win. Go ahead, do it. Do it fast. Don't sit down. Once you've been tagged, you stay standing because we are rising church. Go ahead. Keep tagging. Wait a second, did you get it? Because it looks like it stopped at the youth group, but we're not just a youth-centered church. We're an intergenerational church, so maybe you should be tagging somebody outside the circle. Stand up if you get tagged. And keep telling each other, we win. When you stand, find two other people and tag them and tell them, we win. Keep standing, keep tagging, keep encouraging. Stand, tag, encourage, and remind that you tag two other people. I don't want a single person sitting at this point. If you look around, go ahead and tag a third person, but we better make sure everybody's up because here's the point. The church, this is not just a dismissal exercise so you can sneak out, okay? I know some of you are thinking, the purpose of the church is to encourage one another. The writer, Paul, says, encourage one another with these words. If we meet together and all we do is sit and listen and consume, but we fail to encourage one another with these words, we've missed the opportunity to lift one another. And now, may the church, as we wrap up, go out into the world and spread hope and encouragement to say, we win. Would you like to know how to win? Would you like to learn how to have hope? Would you want some courage? All you have to do is just find two or 20 or 200. The church is called to encourage. You see, that exercise, it took like 30 seconds to fill a room with 650, 700 folks. Imagine what a church of you could do this week with the world. We win. Live like you believe it, but don't just hold on to the good news for yourself. Pass it on. This morning, I don't even have to say as we stand and sing. You're just ready to sing. May we sing like we believe that. And if you are not on the winning team, this morning is a wonderful opportunity to turn your life to Jesus and have hope. He's a risen Lord who lifts our lives so that we can lift the lives of those around us. May we not forget to let encouragement and courage be a part of our rhythm. May we encourage one another with these words. This morning, if you need to know Jesus, he's ready. He's ready for you. Just come down front and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we will help you to to take the next step of obedience, which is to repent of your sin and to be baptized for the forgiveness of that very sin. And then you get to share that message, which is what Jesus called the church to do. Not out of obligation, but out of opportunity to encourage, to lift one another. This morning, if you don't feel lifted, you're in a standing position, but you don't feel very lifted, and you'd like us to encourage you by praying with you, our shepherds would be glad to do that as well. If you have a public need either to put on Christ to return to Christ, to repent of sin, or just simply to be encouraged. I know of no better opportunity to do that than right now. Please come as we sing.